Chocolate. 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 From Dame Cacao, I'm Max Gandy, and this is Chocolate on the Road, the show where we explore hot topics surrounding cacao and chocolate cultures around the world. So let's hit the road. How was the salon? Nice, very good. We, um, it's, a, it's a worldwide competition yeah. during two years. Mm. And uh, in Myanmar, we are the only one to, to produce cocoa yeah. and to do chocolate. Mm. So we didn't realize that the competition in all the other countries Myanmar, which was known as Burma up until just 30 years ago, is a relatively isolated Southeast Asian nation. The country is bordered by Bangladesh, India, China, Laos, and Thailand, and it still has over a thousand kilometers of coastline just to itself. Myanmar's history is long and complicated. There have been countless wars, over a hundred years of British colonial rule, and a number of military-backed regimes. All of this is to say that it surprised me to learn about chocolate production in Myanmar. There's one chocolate maker in the country, whose voice you just heard. His name is Jean-Yves Brunchard, and he's originally from France. He was even back there just last month, for the annual Salon de Chocolat in Paris. He's been growing cacao for more than a decade and a half, and making chocolate since 2013. But all that him introduce his story further. What brought you to starting Ananda Coffee and Chocolate? Uh, and no, I was I always worked in my life in coffee and in cocoa, cocoa powder or cocoa. Uh, but I was on the sales. My my cousin in France, my first cousin, my uncle, were in the production side. And uh, after working years for them, I started my own company. And one day I came in Myanmar in '97. And uh, I discovered that Myanmar was producing coffee, which was not recorded at that time in any international book because of a military regime, uh, isolation from the world. So I said, oh, okay, it's a good idea. Let's start to launch a new coffee origin. So we start to invest uh, in Myanmar, uh, make coffee selection, uh, wash method, everything really nice, and start to sell in France, in Europe. What was the state of coffee at the time? Was it very popular? No, it's not a coffee-drinking country. You have, you in, around the world, was that like the beginning of when uh, like counterculture and single-origin coffee began, or was that much later? Oh, I think 98, 99, it started to be the origin, you know, specialty coffee and everything. So it was a good timing. We have a very good welcome of the coffee. The coffee was very good. But after we had the, the U.S. embargo, all this uh, trouble, so we start to slow down a lot on the coffee. That was around 2003? 2003. 2002-2003. And because my uncle and my cousin were in cocoa, and we are in tropical country, and I have a friend at CIRAD, the French uh, agronomical laboratory specialized in tropical uh, perennial crop. Uh, they have a huge expertise in, uh, in cocoa came the idea, okay, let's start a, a cocoa in Myanmar. So we start. In the 20 plus years he's lived in Burma, Jean-Yves Branchard has been involved in import-export, travel, agriculture, and much more. 
But the most remarkable facts about his life in Myanmar are the obstacles he's overcome to stay there. For most people, multiple kidnapping attempts, dengue fever, and armed thieves are enough deterrents on their own. But that's not the case for Jean-Yves. These are just some realities of living where he's chosen to live. Circumstances, if you will. His focus has always stayed on the next necessary task, the next area to be tended to, often literally. So you said in some past interviews that you had found some abandoned cacao plantations. Yes, because uh, in the all the records were lost. But if I understand well, people I know very well at the Ministry of Agriculture, they tried at the end of the 70s or the 80s to plant cocoa. Nobody knows where they get the cocoa tree. They have no record. What I know is they chopped down everything after because they were not, I don't know why, able to make, process correctly the fermentation and to make chocolate. So I know the Myanmar Industry 101, which is a big uh, army factory making machinery, they even make the conch and the press and everything, and every, everything was stopped. So what happened that made them want to no cut idea. down all the trees? Just because they were like, oh, these are useless, we can't process I them. heard they told me that they were unable to process uh, correctly the cocoa after the harvest. But I'm not sure this is a real reason. But they just chopped down everything, except few trees in some place. Random. Yeah, scattered. yeah. Was there any kind of similarity between the surroundings where the trees were planted? Like, were all the abandoned plantations with low-valued trees? Because you said people were cutting down all the high-valued trees that were... No, the, the plantation were Myanmar government, uh, mostly army place. So in that place, uh, it was real plantation under control, everything clean. Uh, it was not abandoned place. It was just it just stopped to grow cocoa. Just sort of let go. Yeah. yeah. But most army plantation at that time were like this. Just leave it. Everything. So for people who don't know anything about the history in Myanmar, why were all of the records lost? Why doesn't the government know about what happened back? In um, you have army coup in '88. Uh, you have the weather in Asia, you know, which is very humid, very, very bad. Very few electricity. Everything was written on paper. So they were just destroyed by time, weather, humidity. Random fires. Yeah, fire, yeah random <laughs> rats, whatever you can imagine. Uh, you know, you, you store uh, low-quality paper 40 years, everything disappears, and you have uh, maybe a three, four, five military regime in between. So it's keep, difficult to keep uh, archive. I mean, low interest archive, not national interest. It was just a crop. Yeah, and it's a foreign crop. And it's a foreign crop, and it was an experiment. That experiment may have tapered off, but Jean-Yves Cacao is alive and as well as can be expected. In fact, it seems like he probably went through the same issues as the government did. But instead of quitting, he just waited it out. In 2003, you started planting the cocoa? Yes, yes. So we took years to experiment. And because of Myanmar situation, 
political situation, logistic. Uh, we had to stop few years because of guerrilla fighting. Access to the to our own plantation, we can't. So we we put on hold for maybe five years. We resume again because we are very lucky. We get a big forest fire, so we <laughs> lost ninety five percent of everything. So we start over, but with the variety which we are growing, we don't need to experiment again because we knew the idea first was to export cocoa. But we discover that it's better to to transform it in a chocolate to make the added value in Myanmar and to produce for Myanmar market. So now, since uh, since four or five years, we we are producing locally. So around 2014 or 2015, you started the Ananda chocolate. Oh no, 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 no! We start in 2003 or four. But but, but selling the chocolate. Are uh, selling? Um, oh no, no, 2013 maybe 13. Yeah, thirteen. Sold the first bars. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yes. The problem was it was a new crop from Myanmar, so we had to import seeds without any disease to be sure not to introduce disease in Myanmar. And uh, also, as it was a new crop, we didn't know which one was going to grow in Myanmar. So we we brought fifteen variety of cocoa from Sierra Laboratory, and now we have only four remaining. Where is Laboratory? Uh, the 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 the, the is a is a state government laboratory in France. Mm -hmm. They have a office everywhere in West Africa, but they had an island, a former French colony in Pacific called Vanuatu. They were selected, arranged, and the laboratory is totally disease free. So we were sure not to make any mistake with Myanmar. So no, they're coming from Low Amazon, Peru, High Amazon. We have fifteen varieties, mm -hmm. but at the end we keep only four. Other than being disease-free, what made you choose those 15 varieties? What kind of traits were you looking for? We, we, we made a, a selection very simple, uh, like a Criollos for the quality and the flavor, like a Trinitario if we want a big yield, because we don't know which one, and for Asteros to be, let's say, in the middle. Just in case. <laughs> in case. Just in case. <laughs> so. What caused the other 11 varietals to... Absolutely no idea. The climate, probably. Just not well suited. Yeah, probably. To go from here to our place, it's a 650 kilometers. And we are just just at the beginning of the southern part of Myanmar. If we continue south, you, you add 1,000 kilometers by car more. I don't think people realize how long Myanmar yeah, is. Yeah, in terms of logistics, it's a big problem. So what is it like being a farmer in Myanmar? Now the condition is improving. The world are much, much more better. Logistics was a huge, huge problem in Myanmar. A few years ago, or not a few years ago, 10 years ago, most roads you drive 5, 10 kilometers. I mean, what they call the highway, it was 5, 10 kilometers. To go to Tangu, it was like 9 hours to do 200 kilometers. No bridge. So in agriculture, no bridge. How you carry things, you need to take boat. So nationwide, the big improvement has been the road and the bridge. I think they built uh, in 15 years they built like 500 bridge or something like this. Yeah, I, even the small bridge. I mean, if you have a small river, even 20 meter wide, if you cannot cross it, 
you cannot bring your mango, you cannot bring your rice, you cannot bring uh, anything. So th this big change for farmers, big big change. It's allowed the farmers to take their crops to other parts of the country, yes. or just slightly wider. No, no, to take to other place to bring to I don't know Yangon, Mandalay, trading place. If you do a, a sensitive crop like I don't know fruits, mango, if it takes days to carry to harvest, everything is lost. For cacao, the problem for us with cacao was the logistic can take one day or two days to go to the place. Uh, rainy season to go in the south 10 years ago, it takes more than two days. Yeah, more than two days to driving. Yeah, if, if you have to work, you go, you go to visit your plantation for one week. Otherwise, uh, you don't go for one day. <laughs> you don't go for one day. So this is a big improvement for everywhere, everywhere in Myanmar. A lot of new road, a lot of bridge. This is uh, this is good. And for the for the most common uh, crop in Myanmar, the rice, now they are start to use machine. Do you think that's a good thing? I'm not sure. What have been some of the biggest obstacles you've run into with your plantations over the last 15 years? For our cocoa. Um, no, the weather changing. We since two, three years we are noticing it's a hotter and hotter, which is a problem for cocoa. It's, it's like hot weather, but not uh, 40, 42. Or in the forest is too high. No, the main, 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 main problem was always been the logistic and lack of energy. But this is everywhere in Myanmar. So infrastructure. Yeah, this is a big, big problem. You have uh, no electricity, no so. This also is improving, but uh, they, they cannot catch up. Relative to the day-to-day -day issues on and off the farm, Myanmar also has its own environmental challenges. As with the rest of the world, most of these are man-made issues. But it's not always clear who's to blame in such circumstances. So in the tropical region in the south, what are the most common industries and crops around where you're... Unfortunately, now, since the last 30 years, it's rubber or palm it oil. smells so bad. And palm oil. I don't know how that No, but palm oil, you have to deforest everything. Yeah. And we do exactly the opposite. We grow everything under forest. So okay. this... Yeah. And what they do a lot, obviously, in a lowland is rice. And beetle, you know? The beetle nut? Beetle nut. Yeah. It's very common in Taiwan as well. Yeah, so they so do a common. lot in Myanmar, which is very good for cocoa. So what is the state of the forests in Myanmar? And how has it changed over the last 20 years since you've lived here? It's deforestation, massive. What can I say? <laughs> What, what kinds of trees were here that they're cutting down? Are they at least using the trees that they're cutting down? Oh, yeah, like all in Southeast Asia, you have two, you have two problems. Uh, no, not like everywhere. Most problem in Southeast Asia is uh, forest firewood. They just cut down, like in India, they cut down the trees to make food every day, to cook the food. They just burn it. They just burn it. It's okay. a it's a huge problem. You're in a village. How you cook? You have no electricity, no energy, no gas. How you cook your food every day? Fair point. Yeah, but when you have one billion people like in India, <laughs> uh, yeah, squeezes the life out of the forest. Yeah. So this is the main, main, main reason, mostly, 
The second is because Myanmar is blessed with a lot of high-value wood, like a teak, like a pingado, like a paddock, which is a red palisand wood, very, very nice. So these one were chopping down because of the high value. Who was doing the illegal cutting? Government, army, private people, everybody. How did you learn about chocolate making? I told you, my family is in chocolate since a long time. You said they were in cocoa and... and yeah, in cocoa, cocoa powder, but I've always been in a, how do you say, trial and errors book. Mm -hmm. uh, so. Hoping for the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a, it's like when you go to school, you learn, you practice, you, you learn. You read the books. Yeah. You read the books, you try, you do it. You, see, you go to see people who knows how to make it. Who did you go and see? I have a lot of friends in France making chocolate. I mean, real chocolate people, not growers. So yeah, for a long time. Yes, yes. So they just uh, try to teach me, but we we are yeah yeah no it's, it's we, are, we are just learning. We we it we it took a lot of time for us to learn how to grow it, to grow the trees. Now since four or five years we are learning how to make chocolate, but. Uh, I mean, I just come back from the Salon Chocolat in Paris. You have uh, Meilleur Ouvrier de France, what they call the best uh, chocolate maker in France. This guy are totally light years away. You know, they are so good. With English, we have a long history of stealing words from French. Yes. So we we use chocolatier is just for person who uses couverture chocolate to make things. Okay. And then a chocolate maker. Okay, so yeah, chocolate? from the beans. Yeah, they use the beans. Yeah, you, so you can be both. You can be, or you you are not obliged to be both. Yeah, you're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're not obliged to be both. Yeah. 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 So in a salon du chocolat in Paris, uh, you have both. You have people starting from the bean, what you call in English now bean to bar. Mm -hmm. But in France, it's not bean to bar when you are chocolatier or pastry chef. Mm -hmm. You go, you make this all very technical chocolate cake, and uh, really, really, you need a huge knowledge to, to know how to do that. We, we don't know how to do that. We know how to make bar. Did you buy your chocolate making machinery in Myanmar before the plants closed down? Or no, no. Close? The first, uh, for, the, for the tempering machine, all is coming from Europe. For the conch and grinding machine, we, we made it here. And I, it's, not a, it's not difficult uh, technology. And now we buy from India. Or from Europe. So, what has it been like to introduce bean to bar chocolate to Myanmar? And are there any similar movements of like, making artisanal foods in Myanmar? Um, yes, no, there is a trend since uh, three, four years. The first reaction of Myanmar people, now it's changing very slowly, but it's changing. The first reaction was it's made in Myanmar, it's not good. They were looking down to their own production, their own country, you know, because uh, the country was so isolated. Uh, for them, everything good in technology is coming from Germany or from Japan. So for them, everything coming from outside is better. It's just better quality or like more progress or... Everything, better quality, progress, uh, modern. Everything you may imagine when you are... You don't have things like the 80s or 90s in Myanmar. And uh, you receive, I don't know, a stereo or anything or a car from Japan or 
anything was better from outside. So they think the food is the same. And when very seriously you present Myanmar chocolate, okay, now we won this award, but to professional Myanmar buyer, they told you no, but imported chocolate is better. Cadbury chocolate is better. No, first they put palm oil in it. <laughs> we don't, we put nothing, we are organic. But why you look down Myanmar product like this? So why? Because of historical reason. Because they don't have knowledge of the product. Myanmar was not a co cocoa or chocolate producing country. Or consuming country. Uh, but it's, it's very cultural. They think what's coming from outside is better. We already talked about the, what Burmese people think about made in Myanmar, but what do they think about cacao and chocolate as a food or as a crop? As a food, it's, you know, Asia, uh, Asiatic people. They think chocolate is good for the health, which is true. Consistent, <laughs> yeah, with other parts of Asia. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is, um, this is the first approach mainly. People tell me when we do a food show or presentation, they say, oh, but is it true that chocolate is good for the health? Say, yes, yes, it's true. So this, this is more or less the first reaction. Chocolate is good for the health. High quality chocolate. Yeah, high quality, the... yeah. No, 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 yeah, no chemical, palm oil, chocolate. But, but the, the, their first idea is, is it good, is it good or bad for the health? Because they were not educated in, um, in chocolate, but we are not educated in rice. They have a 200 type of rice. So we know just rice. Uh, they, they like milk chocolate because it's uh, easiest to eat. Is it the sweetness or the bitterness? Bitterness. They, they like the sweetness or they don't like the bitterness? I think they don't like the bitterness. Okay, so. They want more sweet and less bitter. Yes. I can confirm that Burmese people seem to prefer milk chocolate. This is because I did my own little experiment. As far as Jean-Yves knows, almost all of his chocolate is consumed domestically. Almost one metric ton per month. So I put it to the test with some locals. Before heading to Myanmar, I connected with a photographer who spent many months traveling the country over the last decade or so. His name is Dustin Maine. He was kind enough to sit with me for a little tasting. We dug into the Ananda chocolates I bought after meeting with Jean-Yves, but just to our left were the Burmese employees of the establishment we were at. So, of course, we invited them to taste with us. We also brought along a couple of supermarket chocolates, for comparison. First was a cheaper milk chocolate Hershey's bar, and then a moderately priced milk chocolate Ritter Sport bar. What do you think? Yeah, it's good. Yes. It's good? Yes. Did you think it would taste good? What did you think? Yes, very nice. But, but before, before you, what did you think? When you saw, oh, made in Myanmar? Yes, I think. Do you think made in Myanmar is better quality or not so good quality? Yes, I think no. Not so good. Yes. Which one is your favorite? I think that this one is for China. He points at the Hershey's. For child? Yes, yes. China. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. And this one is for old man. He points at the Ananda milk chocolate. For old man? Yes. <laughs> you think it's... And this one's for like yes. middle age. He pointed at the Ritter Sport. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you give most cheap to the kids, moderate for the adults, and then the nicest 
for the old people. Yes. <laughs> Very respectful of you. <laughs> so these are just a couple of clips from our tasting. But the two Burmese guys definitely preferred the Ritter Sport Bar over the various other dark and milk chocolates. Dustin liked the lower percentage dark chocolate from Ananda. I had a somewhat different experience with the bars. I think it's really interesting that in the milk chocolate, you lose all that fruitiness. Even mm. though it says it's, it's 45%, it looks much lower and it yeah. tastes much lower. Yeah. But the, the texture changes so much with the addition of the milk powder. They're very interesting. I like that we could impress them a little bit with made in Myanmar chocolate, <laughs> even, if, even if they were wary at first. Yeah, yeah. They were game. So the guys we did the tasting with were so excited about all the chocolate that we actually just left all the bars with them afterwards. I noticed in both cities I visited, Yangon and Bagan, that chocolate is just not very common, even in convenience stores. But Jean-Yves is working to change that. He's even expanding the cacao side of the business these days. Do you separate the two plantations harvests, or you bring them all together? No, they are close enough. Uh, we bring them all together. We are starting a new one. That one, I will, uh, will keep it separate. Where is it? Is it further south? or For A little further north, so 100 kilometers north where we are. North of here? No, north of the southern one. North of the plantation. <laughs> the south. Yes, right. exactly. But that, that one, it will be a totally different type of soil. It's a more in a hilly region, okay. less flooding, because it was a problem for us also this year. Um, so far, it looks very promising. So this one we will really keep separate. But for the farmers, uh, now there is a big trend since two, three years because we get a little more known in Myanmar, even if we are a tiny company. The way we grow the cocoa under forest or trees or uh, existing plantations, most of the farmers, they make double income. They make their regular income plus the cocoa they grow for us. So they start to like it a lot. And when we have a farmers under contract, we pay... Uh, much, much more than the international price. I mean, we're even above the what they call the fair trade contract. Now we are something like two times more, I think, or two and a half. Do you buy the white beans? You just buy the pods or do you buy we the buy beans? We buy the pods, the pods because we want to control everything. But we make the ratio, so the equivalent at the end is uh, what we said for the price per kg. Yeah. The, the farm gate price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the, the farm gate price is, a, is very expensive. But it's okay, it's okay. No, I have no problem with that. What's one thing or a few things that you wish people knew before they came to Myanmar? Because you also run a travel agency. Yeah, because we need to, to leave. <laughs> <laughs> Chocolate does not pay the bills. No, exactly. Exactly. But travel business start to be not paying the bills too. <laughs> number of travelers is going down. Western people, yes, down. Because of uh, any uh, political reason and everything. Uh, what can I say? Uh, there is a so bad international image from Myanmar. Doesn't match at all. The daily experience you can have as a traveler in Myanmar, meeting Myanmar people, is so far away. You can, you, if you tell it to people, they don't believe you. you know? They think you come in holiday here, it's a war zone, you are going to help a military regime. I don't know, they have a so bad image of the country. Still a lot of culture, a lot of things to do, a lot of nice things to, to see and to, to enjoy here. Not what, unfortunately, the international image is. It's totally safe everywhere. People are so helpful. 
This seems like as good a time as any to address why people aren't visiting Myanmar. Up near the northern border, close to Bangladesh, the Burmese Muslim minority is being pushed out and even killed for simply existing. It feels irresponsible to ignore the Rohingya genocide in the north of the country. Yet, Jean-Yves, like other locals, doesn't really have any contact with it. While he's clearly very aware of it, I didn't think it was appropriate to even bring up in an interview about chocolate. However, if you'd like to learn more about it, I'll leave some links in the show notes in the description of this episode. You can also learn more from a project called This Myanmar Life. It's a storytelling endeavor undertaken by writer and photographer Dustin Maine. I'll link that below as well. But before we go, I asked Jean-Yves what he sees in the future for chocolate and cacao in Myanmar. People are talking in agriculture more about chocolate, growing cocoa in Myanmar. I'm just worried people will try to, to do it uh, in the wild way, finding trees in Malaysia and Indonesia, not being careful of the disease they can bring from Malaysia, from Indonesia, planting in the wrong way. Uh, cocoa is a, is, a crop, is a perennial crop, so you have to invest four or five years. Uh, it's not an easy crop. You have to maintain the trees. It takes much more energy they, they used to grow. It's not banana. It's not a coconut. You have to really work on a cocoa plantation. So it's not, a, it's not the golden egg. You have to put energy on it. So that's why every time we receive farmers, they want to grow a cocoa plantation, start to grow cocoa with us or to buy cocoa trees from us. We insist with my wife to visit their plantation, their, the place, the plot, to be sure they don't make a mistake. Because if they make a mistake, they will spend five years of their energy, five years of money, and they get nothing. And we tell them, don't cut forests to make cocoa. <laughs> the opposite of what you want. Yeah, exactly. You keep everything. The people working with us have all have contract, no chemicals, nothing. And we, we are very close to them. We see them very often. We make a technical meeting, training. We even send them the, the video from Paris. So they were so happy in the village. At this point, Jean-Yves got up and walked over to his desk to show me pictures of his plantations and some pictures of the farmers he works with. But what stuck with me about Jean-Yves and Ananda Chocolate, one month after my short visit, is how well he fits into this country. He's stubborn as hell and dead set on progress, on moving forward, pausing when needed, but never giving up on doing what's necessary. Life in Myanmar is never easy, but he takes the bitter with the sweet and brings a little bite of both to anyone who buys his chocolates, at home and on the road. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chocolate on the Road. If you liked it, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and share it in any way you see fit. Your support makes all the effort put into each episode worth it. An especially huge thank you to Jean-Yves and Dustin for being in this episode. To learn more about Ananda Chocolate and read about Myanmar, check out the show notes for this episode at the link in the description, or on my website at damecacao.com. That's D-A-M-E-C-A-C-A-O. .com. Have a wonderful day, and I hope you'll join me next time we go on the road. 